Air Force veteran Eric Gervais is an experienced senior consultant at Infinite Technologies Incorporated with an extensive background in aircraft maintenance, logistics, financial management, and information technology. Infinite Technologies provides high-level strategic and advanced technical services that assist government and corporate entities in managing their technical needs. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. May is Military Appreciation Month. Learn more about how Navy Federal is celebrating the commitment that connects them to their members at NavyFederal.com slash celebrate. Show your own support for our troops with hashtag Mission Military Thanks. All right, today we're talking with Air Force veteran Eric Gervais, Senior Consultant with Infinite Technologies. Eric, you spent quite a bit of time in the Air Force. You've been out of the Air Force for quite a while. Got a lot of good things to talk about. So take us back and tell us what you did when you were in the Air Force. My uh, early years in the Air Force started in 1978, and uh, I'd always had a fascination with aircraft and flying and whatnot. So I enlisted in the service and started off as an uh, fighter crew chief, working uh, F-4s initially out on Okinawa for three years. I'm sure you're familiar with that neighborhood. I've oh, seen yeah. you spend some quality yep. time there. Okay, Beautiful, yeah. tropical, but yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at any rate, uh, that gave me an opportunity to, to definitely get into working technical work, working with people as a team, enjoying that military environment. And uh, after uh, several years there, I got married. We had a, uh, my wife and I had a child. So all of a sudden everything got serious family responsibilities. And as such, we had a, a transition, but, um, I got out of the service briefly and got back in, uh, during our next stint, um, we had another child, things get more serious. And, uh, fortunately, uh, I had opportunities, uh, transitioning as an aircraft mechanic into, uh, more senior positions. And, uh, eventually as an enlisted guy, my wife had told me that dude, you're a master technician, master sergeant with a master's degree. You need to get a real job and get us home. And I, I could not disagree with her and the opportunities to get commissioned on active duty at that point were very slim. So we went ahead and made another transition at that point. And I uh, joined, fortunately was able to join the DC Air National Guard and get a commission with them and uh, loved it. Stayed there for 22 years and retired in 2012. So it was uh, a wonderful success story and finished up uh, half my career in aircraft maintenance and about half the career in finance. So it's given me a very unique perspective and background on kind of how things work. And along the way, I, was, I did some things that were not very productive from a transition standpoint. Later on in life, I learned some of the tricks and started things, started clicking and worked quite well. Yeah. Now, when you, when you transferred to the Guard, were you a traditional reservist or were you like AGR? What was your... Uh, component when, there. when I, you know, since I've got multiple uh, transitions, my first break in service, I left at the end of my uh, enlistment and literally became a civilian, no guard affiliation. I, I was kind of missing the uniform. And at the same time, I, I understood that it could be potentially some additional money and possible long-term working towards retirement. So I joined a local guard unit and uh, I was working construction work at that point in time. Even though I was an aircraft mechanic, I discovered that I had gotten out of the service without getting an A&P license, which is required basically to utilize your aircraft maintenance skills on the civilian side. 
a classic case of a lack of preparation. So I, I had the opportunity to go back on active duty. I did so. And I kind of vowed that this time I would try to make sure that I did the things that I would need to do. So when I went back on active duty, I started uh, working right off the bat, trying to take care of general requirements, like getting general education and whatnot. So I could complete my associate's degrees through the community college of the air force. And I mean, it's freebie taking CLEP tests and things of that nature were, were relatively simple. If you don't get it right the first time, you can take it again in six months and it's free. Yeah. And, yeah. and just, it it's means amazing. that you don't have to pay tuition somewhere. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those low hanging pieces of fruit that if you don't know, or don't reach out to grab it, you can easily miss it. Yeah. So that second time around, I spent about uh, a total of seven years on active duty and uh, wound up getting three associate's degrees, a bachelor's from Southern Illinois University and a master's from the University of Southern California. And while that sounds like a stack, it is not that difficult if you have the support of your family and you've also got your active duty supervisors kicking your butt to get your associate's degree. All that stuff helps. Right. So, yeah. uh, but getting that academic background, as you can imagine, from a resume fodder standpoint, I mean, it looks great. But at the same point in time, when active duty is paying tuition assistance and the availability of college programs is there, take advantage of it. And uh, so, as you can see, after having learned from my first enlistment, the second one, I definitely leaned forward, tried to do the right thing. And that also set me up for my departure from active duty the second time. Being enlisted, I had to ask permission to be released from my uh, commitment. And what I did was uh, I had asked for uh, what they call palace chase and palace chase is an early release from active duty and they'll only approve it under certain circumstances and you're only allowed to apply three times at that point and what occurred was that first time got rejected second time got rejected quickly and then i got a little smarter and i figured somebody has got to run this program and i should be able to ask who does it and what am i missing here and I called down to the Air Force Reserve Person uh, Personnel Center at the time, I spoke to the gentleman who was doing it. He says, well, hey, your paperwork crosses my desk. And if the numbers up on the big board are not right, I have to disapprove. And I said, well, do the numbers ever look good? And he said, yeah, maybe every couple of months or so for a brief period of time, they would be suitable for me to sign your release. I said, well, please, when you see my paperwork, just drop it in a drawer. You know, I'd rather have a slow yes than a fast no. <laughs> And it, and it was interesting. He said, sure, I'd be happy to. Really? And the odd part was all it was was a couple of phone calls, ask a favor, and boom, something that is an automatic, too difficult to get done right, magically happens. And that's the kind of thing that uh, I never would have thought about doing it. And on the enlisted side, most officers have detailers that they can literally reach out to, at least on active duty. But just in the case of uh, enlisted, you've really got to kind of work the system. So don't be afraid, you know, just reach out, find out, talk to folks. The more you do, the more you learn. So in that transition, going to the guard, I was literally selected to become a commission officer. And uh, I transitioned as an aircraft maintenance officer. And then shortly thereafter became a finance officer. And uh, the beauty of that is that uh, having worked out on the flight line, having known aircraft and the aircraft obviously being the mainstay of the Air Force, my transition into a financial officer position gave me a unique 
visibility, awareness, and skill set where pretty much everybody is either your very best friend or is hating your guts. One of the two, you know, in other words, when your pay is right, it's, it's invisible, you know, it's just <laughs> expected, but when there's a problem, you become the world's most unpopular guy until you get it fixed. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's an interesting position to be in because you're constantly working with people to help them. And in that process, you wind up establishing relationships where there's no skin off your back, but you're just reaching out to make sure that your folks that are deploying are properly briefed, that their pay is 100% correct, so they can focus on the mission rather than being worried about their income and their family. So I got used to jumping in and pulling fuses out of bombs and doing those things that the boss needed me to do to make sure that finance was not an issue, that we didn't have rampant problems or unhappy people in the unit. And as such, it was a lot of work, but it was, uh, it was very enriching. You felt good about helping people. And if you were smart enough about the system and knew enough about benefits and entitlements, you could definitely work the system to help people and in a proper way, not, not an improper way. But yeah. given that, the more you knew, the more you were able to say you may not be eligible for A, but you're eligible for B and C. And that helped give me that mindset that has served me quite well since then. But just one thing that I, I, when I was on active duty, I was working with people that had side hustles and you could tell the guys that were savvy and were doing good stuff. And it ran the gambit. Some guys had contractor jobs that they were working at night. They had their own businesses. They were doing cleaning. Mm -hmm. uh, other people were running, uh, you know, uh, vending machines. Uh, some other folks were doing uh, software development on the side. They just, they loved to do it and they were pursuing it. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting that all these folks that had side gigs, I knew in my heart, having seen their focus and interest and willpower, that they were going to continue that probably long after they retired. And they didn't need to worry about a transition because they had that growing plan, that nest egg that was just expanding. And their experiences and success while they were still having a military affiliation gave them that family security that they needed to make sure they could pay the bills. The old side hustle. All right. That's a, exactly. hold on just a second. We're going to, we're going to talk more about side hustles when we come back. Be right back. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to thank the men and women in the U S military for their important commitment to our country. For more than 90 years, Navy Federal Credit Union has made it their mission to help people in the military community. And I've been a member for 33 of those years. Navy Federal Credit Union is open to all branches of the military, veterans, and their families. Navy Federal's employees are veterans and military spouses, which makes them a part of the community they serve. They get you. They understand their members better than anyone. Members could enjoy earnings and savings of $349 per year, a regular savings rate four times higher than the industry average, an average credit card APR that's 5% lower than the industry average, award-winning 24-7 stateside member service, over 350 branches worldwide, and a 0.25% discounted rate on VA loans. Show your own support for our troops with hashtag MissionMilitaryThanks. Learn more about how Navy Federal is celebrating the commitment that connects them to their members at NavyFederal.com slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Dollar value shown represents the results of the 2021 Navy Federal member give back study. Credit card value claim based on 2021 internal average APR assigned to members compared to advertised industry APR average published on creditcards.com. NFCU reserves the right to change or discontinue promotions and rates at any time without notice. All right, we're back talking about the Air Force veteran, Eric Gervais, senior consultant with Infinite Technology. So Eric, let's talk, you mentioned side hustle. A lot of, a lot of the guys had side hustles. Um, 
I always, I always tried to have a side hustle um, after I got through all my initial schools and everything when I was in the Marine Corps, but I never really, at, at the end, I, I had a couple of rental houses, but while I was on active duty, I never really found a successful side hustle for myself. But, um, you know, it was several years ago at this point, and some of the online opportunities weren't there um, like they are, they are now, nowadays. But um, for me, it, just the pursuit of a side hustle or the hope that there might be a, a side hustle out there kind of motivated me and gave me hope and made me actually better at my job. I was more motivated to come to work because I knew I had other things uh, to look for. And you mentioned when we were offline there that some of the guys, they, they had this slow growth opportunity in the military. They want to see what they could do in their spare time on their own. So what talk about a little bit about some of the folks you knew that were running side hustles and how that, the dynamic of that while they were still working for the Air Force. I think uh, one of the fellows that would probably be a good example is he actually started his own company that was a cleaning company. He did the work initially on his base contract all by himself and then eventually hired other people to do additional work. And since a lot of cleaning work occurs off hours, nights, weekends, et cetera, it, it paired well with what he was doing. Obviously, the digital economy has created tremendous opportunities for folks to work on a convenience basis versus as it was back then, where physically had to be places at certain times. But just uh, he started smaller and with that first contract, then worked towards another and worked towards others and learned more in the contracting aspects of it, as well as better estimating, better budgeting, figuring out better ways to do things, uh, as well as knowing the market more. So he understood more about his competitors or the folks he was competing against. So it gave him that nice kind of sticking his toe in the water, then slowly getting in and, and becoming rather adept. And he's good guy, hard worker, smart guy, and very personable. You know, all those things worked in his favor. So, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's a huge plus. And I think he would be a good example of one of those folks that by the time he was nearing retirement, he had a substantial effort uh, available to him such that if he wanted to pursue that afterwards, he could just flip the switch find more contracts and go on to a full-time basis. But just in a general sense, especially for enlisted folks, most enlisted folks are not going to walk out of the money or out of the military with enough money, planning, education, you know, skills and experience necessary to just flip that switch and hit the ground running. You know, it just, and, and even officers, the college background helps. Um, you tend to be involved in circles that oftentimes usually are better resourced you know, and, and more focused on what comes next. Mm -hmm. But just in a general sense, uh, the more that you can start expanding, the sooner you can start expanding, usually the better. But there's so many things to learn. And I think that's where the aspect of uh, if you're a traditional reservist or traditional guard member, you've got that civilian employment on the side that's giving you exposure to all the civilian aspects or as many as possible. And that's really where it becomes important as far as what jobs you pick. And when it comes to making that job selection, you know, number one is try to try to select something that is going to make you proud to serve in it, able to do well, a feeling of satisfaction, and hopefully that compensation will be matching that because uh, you can be awfully miserable in jobs. And over the years, I've worked with a lot of people that were trapped by a position that was paying them just enough to prevent them from really feeling like they were able to go elsewhere and they were absolutely miserable in doing it. And that's not life. You know, that that's like a little version of hell on earth. You know, that's yeah. not a place you want to spend your years. Absolutely. So, 
so within that context, I think uh, one of the things that I, I learned, I was very fortunate. Uh, one of your uh, prior podcasts, the gentleman talked about uh, asks and having relationships with people. And while I was in the service, especially during my later years in the early 2000s and whatnot, wound up deploying overseas, spending some quality time in lovely places like Iraq and Afghanistan. And I, I met an awful lot of people there from an awful lot of places. And over time, as they moved around and transitioned out of the military, uh, you know, they were able to give me recommendations or say, hey, I'm doing this. This is good. And before I left the service, I think three months before I, I realized it's like, well, I'm going to take some time off, but I need to really get the resume done up. And, you know, I was going through transition assistance programs and all those good recommendations. But the thing that surprised me was that I was getting contacted by people that I had worked with or helped over the years. They were saying, hey, if you're looking for something, you should consider this. And uh, in one case, uh, one of the folks uh, that I had known that had worked for me for a decade before said, hey, this company that I work with, ITI, is looking for somebody and you fit this mold, you know, you really should consider uh, applying for the position. It was a beautiful circumstance. I went up, talked to the folks. It was low stress. I showed up in shorts and a, a polo shirt. And it's like, I, I don't have to impress anybody, but you know, I'm just here to yeah. be me. And, and it worked beautifully. And uh, that, that fit in well with the corporate culture. Uh, you know, they were very happy with it. Um, so I literally wound up kind of going down the street at Andrews Air Force Base from my military position to a consultant position in the headquarters where my military background was the huge impact issue for them as a subject matter expert. I was working financial issues at the uh, A4, which we're dealing with depot maintenance, which is probably one of the biggest bills that you'll ever see. You know, mm. it's billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. And because I had the finance background and the aircraft maintenance background, I was one of those rare birds that wasn't just one side or the other, but I understood how the two fit together and worked. And I was able to apply that in that position. And the, the guard, the headquarters was extremely happy with the support they were getting. My company was happy because the customer is happy. And it's one of those uh, unusual circumstances where it's a win, win, win all the way around. Yeah. And to be honest, there's a lot of consultant positions that are certainly not that way. Some of the bigger companies have some of the worst reputations. And they're well-earned bad reputations and that, uh, sure, you can make big money, but at the same point in time, you're not going to have that uh, the integrity, the plug-in, the, the knowing that if you're, somebody's paying you a dollar, that you're giving them a dollar twenty-five. <laughs> and that, that's what my boss at ITI, uh, Sean Walker, is huge about. In other words, it's, if we're not serving the customer, then we're doing the wrong thing. If we're not supporting and doing more than just what's expected, that means we're not working as hard as we should be. Yeah. And, but he's huge on taking care of the people and at the same point in time, remaining that customer focused. And that, that's been a huge positive for me. That's one of the reasons I've been there uh, for over 10 years. Yeah. So, I mean, what a, what a deal to walk right out of you know, an Air Force job into uh, you know, a contractor job like that as a consultant um, at and you say ITI, which is Infinite Technologies Incorporated. So you walked right in. And generally speaking, it's great to roll out of the military and roll into a company who 
really appreciates and actually needs what you did in the military to have this new job. Cause so many guys, if they're not going into the DOD contracting arena, everybody's hiding or suppressing what the, their military stuff and trying to convert it to civilian speak. And <laughs> then it gets watered down. And, um, it's like, yeah, it, it can get really frustrating trying to break into that nothing but civilian world. Um, that, those companies that don't have much of a military connection and then, but you know, DOD contracting and that kind of thing. The nice thing about it is they get you, they understand what you've done in the military and, and they need military people to be in there because you're oftentimes dealing directly with military units in, in support of the mission. Our, uh, the company that I work for specializes in software that uh, is optimized to support, uh, Air Force functions. In other words, the depot maintenance realm was completely supported by our CAFDEC software so that it basically handled, uh, you know, close to $100 billion in current and future year defense funds. And it was all plotted down to the man hours required to do a simple task as part of a depot overhaul on an aircraft. You know, you could drill down to that minuscule level. And the amazing thing about it was, is it connected those activities at the hangar floor all the way up to the halls of the Pentagon and on to Congress via the president's budget. So if somebody in Congress asks a question about why did this go up from last year, you literally could drill down all the way back. And not only could you tell them why it went up from last year, but you could tell them what it was doing five years ago and 10 years ago. I mean, it's an amazing program, but it just, it was built over two decades by uh, uh, Sean Walker, my boss. And the amazing thing about that is, is that when you've got that kind of knowledge and intelligence built into software, a lot of it is plugged in there by that military experience that SMEs and others bring to the job. And one of our new products, the Flying Hour program, was uh, heavily influenced by a woman that worked for me for many years, my accounting supervisor. And she was one of those folks that would always say, there's an easier way to do this. We need to put this into a computer. And she was right. And eventually the opportunity came for her to do that with ITI. The program is now computerized and it's saving the Air Force millions and millions and tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars since it's been instituted. And the beauty of it is, is it got there by a veteran with the experience in that world, able to work shoulder to shoulder with developers to create a program that does all those things that you knew somebody should be doing years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, let me digress one moment here. This is important intellectual property. There are a lot of people with great ideas and there are a lot of people that, you know, entrepreneurs tend to be very creative by nature. So it's always important to make sure that whatever you're creating or whatever you're doing, you try to protect it because in the market, you know, let's face it, there are those out there who will take things. In some cases, the government does, but just trademarks are relatively easy. They help to protect your name or your badging, you know, as far as this is, this is the name of my company, or this is what I do. And also it helps to improve your professionalism as far as external appearances go to have a little, you know, trademark symbol at the end of your uh, word. But at the same time, copyrights, while you do get a copyright from your creative standpoint of making something, if it's registered, the one thing that's unique is, if ever you have to protect it in court, you're going to be able to find standing for a, a judgment merely based on the fact that you had a copyright that was registered, an unregistered copyright. You have to prove loss to be able to get a 
a, a finding that's going to be in your favor that would benefit you financially. And that becomes a much higher level and you're going to have to pay a lot more for lawyers and investigators to do it. And there's always that patent issue. And that is that copyrights, for instance, for software apps, you can reverse engineer somebody's copyrighted software application. Yeah. But that's where a patent comes in. And if something comes out, you release that item and you're using it in the, in the commercial market for a year or two years, guess what? You lost that patent window. You've got to patent something within the first year after it hits the market. Otherwise, that window's closed. So, I mean, there's little things like that that entrepreneurs, when they're out there being creative, coming up with new things to try to make sure that you protect yourself so that nobody can sweep in and go, hey, that was my idea. Or, oh, by the way, I'm just going to copy this and make it mine. Yeah, patents, trade, trademarks, and copyrights are, are interesting things. Uh, sometimes I, I used to go to an inventor's meeting in, when we lived in Kansas City, and um, what was interesting about a lot of these guys, they're, they're inventors, you know, and they're, an inventor's claim to fame is to have that patent hanging on the wall. But I was more like a, I was the entrepreneurial type. I, I, mean, I love inventing things, but I was more like, well, how are you going to make money off of it? You know, like, what are you going to do there? Like, have you sold any? Well, no, but I've got a patent. I see, I got my patent hanging on the wall. And they, they would never think past the whole patent thing. Like, I've got a patent. That's, that, that's the end game right there, right? And I'm like, no, the end game is to make money off of it, isn't it? Exactly. Well, well, not necessarily with some of these guys. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that was interesting. But, but that's the difference. In other <laughs> words, an entrepreneur, yeah. if you get that idea and you get it moving, that's the thing that can pull the rug out from underneath you mm -hmm. when somebody takes it from you. Yeah. Yeah. Or copies it. And within that context, that's why I wanted to insert that. And I've learned so much about intellectual property from my current consultant position, working with a company to do the things that I do. It comes up frequently because of the fact that we're creating software. And as such, that's a, a perfect example of why that outside job somewhere can be very beneficial from if you've got a side hustle or you're working along that same line. And especially these days, folks being able to create apps, you know, without a, a huge staff and, uh, you know, a lot of assistance. If you've got that good of an idea, I mean, it chances are it's worth money somewhere down the road. Yeah. So is it hard to patent or copyright software? You're talking uh, like SaaS. Is that what you're mostly services? Uh, services most of our software, software is uh, software as a service. You know, software almost all service, of it yeah. is set up so that you wouldn't worry about buying a, a CD you know, you basically are going to access our software either from a cloud mm -hmm. or in the case of our military software, it's actually hosted on a military server. So it, in those, both of those cases, you know, we'll, we refer to it as software as a service. Cloud hosting is generally the pure form of SaaS. And in the context of our hosting in the military environment, we maintain it while it's there. It's not like somebody takes it and plugs it in. We literally take care of and manage our, our system while it is hosted in the military environment. And it, that's, that's one of those issues that you'd always want to make sure that whatever you're doing, you know exactly what you're on the hook for from a delivery context, because the cost of, of delivering software, things like that, you know, whether you're in the app store in a mobile phone market or whether you're selling software as a service out in the, out in the, real world, so to speak, you know, mm -hmm. larger programs, you still have to know and have to plan. Yeah. And the other interesting thing about when you're talking about technology and patents and copyrights, the technology moves so fast, the patent process moves really slow. So yes. granted, if you're in the process of getting it patented or it's patent pending, 
then you can be protected that way. But sometimes the technology has moved beyond what your product was in the beginning before you ever even get the patent. But I'm not, I'm not saying it's not worth doing that, but how do you balance that with, well, if it's, if it's a depot level uh, software system, obviously that kind of thing's going to be around a long time. So, um, but there's a lot of new technologies and new stuff out there that you can spend a lot of time and money worrying about patents and get bogged down in that and not ever get to the point. And by the time the patent comes in, the software's moved on and it's irrelevant anyways. I think it, I view copyrights, patents, and trademarks a little bit like fences. You know, they, they, if somebody's really determined, they're probably going to defeat the fence, you know, break through, but it's going to slow them down. Yeah. And uh, if in some cases, I mean, it'll stop them dead, but just uh, the, the point being is, is you have to be careful if you are literally putting your eggs into a basket. And if that basket is something that can be uh, broken open by somebody being able to quickly come in, copy what you're doing and then start replicating or possibly do it one better. And I think that's where uh, having those ideas and then being able to protect them is important. And with a lot of, uh, you know, side hustles, it's, it's a competitive environment, but it's when you stumble across that idea that gives you a bigger and better something. Um, That's where that intellectual property protection light should come on at that point. And I think, uh, I find it interesting that uh, that's probably one of those things that a lot of folks go right on by without thinking about it. And, you know, they may get lucky and nobody else really is perceiving that what they have is something that they want to take. But just, uh, you know, I think it, it wasn't that long ago, a guy came up with a better idea for bullets for the military. And uh, there were some problems with the military kind of latching onto that going, yeah, that's a great idea. We think we'll keep it. <laughs> so, I mean, just uh, <laughs> things happen. You do have to be careful. Yeah. And just, I, I offered it from that standpoint. Yeah. Uh, it, it is interesting in many ways that there's so much to learn out there that when it comes to filing for copyrights, fairly straightforward, especially with graphical material, uh, you know, it, it, it does, it does not have to be something that you need legal assistance with. Uh, trademarks, same thing. It's fairly straightforward, you know, submission packages. Yeah. It'll take some time to do it, but just send it in, you know, mail the check, not expensive, What normally gets pricey is when lawyers get involved. You know, those folks are making three, 400 bucks an hour and that's when the prices go up. So it's a question of, you know, how you want to do that patents as a whole, that can be almost always expensive to get into because of the research that's required. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a, a, a tougher nut to crack, but just if you've really got that idea or you really think it needs that protection and you can see something is from a patent because they're only good for 20 years. Um, you know, but then again, if 20 years is going to take you where you want to be, then it's a perfect m- machine to get you there. Yeah. Yeah. So infinite technologies, how, how do we find out more about infinite technologies incorporated? Infin, uh, infinite technologies can be found. We've got a website, infintech.com. And we also have a website for our software called caftex.com. And uh, both have uh, substantial information for our different products that are out there. And uh, I would say that uh, it, it's always nice to be able to recommend a company because they take care of military folks and mm-hmm. because they see the value in the military staff that they have on board. And uh, I'm one of many uh, veterans that work for the company, and uh, and we're. It's always nice to be appreciated, 
and recognized. And uh, as such, I mean, it's just, uh, it makes a world of difference. And I would tell you that just a last note on consulting, my brother had worked for a consulting firm. And while I was at a client site, uh, they said, hey, we've got a problem over here with this. Before you leave, could you take a look at it? He went over, saw it was something simple, just did what he needed to do, fixed it, and came back to the office, and he was threatened with being terminated. And uh, I was like, don't you ever do anything beyond what you're told to do when you go to a client site. You know, if you do it again, we'll terminate you. Really? And I just, I heard that. I'm going like, note to self, never be a consultant. You know, I just hated to think about being so hogtied or in such a job yeah. threatening situation. And uh, I was just fortunate to find that not all consultant operations are that way, you know, where client wants something different, change order. You know, in other words, the, right. it is a classic case where, you know, consultants are famous for charging outrageous sums for as little as possible. And working for a company that does not approach things that way uh, is just a breath of fresh air. And that's why I've been here as long as I have. Wow. Yeah, I was going to I was going to give you the last word on on consulting in general, but you you already answered it. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's a great way. Um, so just real quick, we're, we're about out of time, but uh, generally speaking you know, in the consulting world, because I, I do think veterans can make great consultants, um, consulting, even if it's non, you know, DOD contracting type stuff too. Um, just a, a quick summary or what, what are some of the thoughts and feelings about veterans getting out of the military and becoming consultants? I, I would tell you that, uh, if you're a junior military member, uh, it's harder to have that experience, you know, junior enlisted guy, you would not expect to come right out and walk right into a consultant position, you know, that's unrealistic. But over time, especially after you've had, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, especially if somebody were in a situation uh, where they had a, a medical discharge, uh, you know, you've got certain benefits coming out, that's great. But at the same time, what are you gonna do? Um, Physical labor may be beyond your capability at that point, and consulting could be a key. In other words, that background that you have, that knowledge, that awareness could be able to be transferred into additional things that you can do. And that consulting capacity could be immensely beneficial. But once again, it's who you know while you're in service and then being able to establish and grow that network either before you separate or shortly thereafter so that you can kind of pave that road ahead to find opportunities. And sometimes the key would be to, to hop on board with someone else and a team with somebody or get in with that company. And if, if possible, I've always recommended that if you have a break in service to maintain an affiliation, either guard or reserve, uh, I'm very fond of the guard, excellent opportunities could be full-time, could be part-time, could be both. It's, it's a parachute of sorts for somebody that doesn't want to just burn their prior military affiliation. Oh, yeah. It gives them an opportunity to get to 20 year retirement. You know, I'd say that I spent some time in the reserves. Also the garden reserves, probably the, the absolute best part-time job you could ever have. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And that's why I stayed for 22 years in the air guard. Wow. It was wonderful. That's awesome. All right. Well, thanks Eric for uh, sharing, sharing your success story and uh, some of what uh, infinite technologies incorporated does in uh, Appreciate, appreciate you all that. We look forward to seeing your future success. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Great right. talking to you. You bet. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. 
Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.